The reading tonight is from Genesis 22, and it can be found on page 22 of the Church Bibles. Genesis chapter 22, beginning at verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, may your word be our rule. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. And may your greater glory be our supreme concern this night and all our days. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, says the writer of the New Testament letter to the Hebrews. As my old uh, Bible college teacher then put it, the greatest of all the unseen realities is the person and character of God himself. Faith is at its most fully developed when it's prepared to trust God in the face of all the seen evidence, to put his will first, whatever the heart or the head might be saying. In other words, to keep on trusting God when everything and everyone around us is telling us to go the other way. That is the ultimate test of faith, to stick with him uh, when absolutely everything is against it. Well, we've been exploring Abraham's faith over the last few weeks. If you remember, we've seen that faith means trust, means trusting God's promises. Uh, We've seen that that faith is not a form of religious works. It's not about trying to earn brownie points. Uh, It's the empty hand receiving a good gift from God. We saw, didn't we, that it it leads to being called righteous, to being put in the right with God uh, by receiving his gifts. And then we become one of his friends, as Abraham was. Well, we've seen these things working out and working through in Abraham's life and his faith growing stronger through life's ups and downs. But today, we're looking at the ultimate test of faith. In fact, this incident in chapter 22 is perhaps the ultimate test of faith uh, that we see in the whole Bible. It's a really remarkable uh, event. Abraham is told to go and obey God and do something which seems completely against what God has been promising and doing in his life. Everything seems against Abraham doing this thing. For 30 years, he's been waiting, waiting for his son Isaac to be born. And finally he's here. And you can imagine how precious uh, this boy would have been to him. But added to that, Isaac's no ordinary boy. He's the child of promise. It's through Isaac that all of God's promises to to put the world to rights are are going to be fulfilled. He's the child of promise. And so, so now God commands this incomprehensible thing, it seems, to sacrifice your own beloved son, to sacrifice the one through whom God's promises are going to be fulfilled. Well, up until this point in the story, God has prepared Abraham for a new step of obedience by revealing something more of himself. But now there's just a clear command, go, sacrifice your son on this distant mountain. The time has come for the ultimate test. And at first sight, we can be forgiven for thinking, God is behaving awfully here, can't we? It looks a bit like some big bully boy gangster who orders one of his followers to do some horrible bloody act to prove that he's really loyal to him. Kill your son. Well, I would suggest that that, in fact, is a a wrong way of thinking uh, about this chapter. We've got to see it uh, as the the fulfilment, the final step in a great long story of Abraham's life of walking with uh, God. We've come to the ultimate test uh, of Abraham's faith. God has been training him up uh, to be able uh, to do this uh, 
incredible thing. Think of God rather, uh, not as a gangster, but as a top sports coach. Uh, He's been subjecting uh, the person he's training uh, to gradually, increasingly difficult tests uh, of faith through his life. And now we've come to the point when the coach is extracting the final maximum effort from his champion athlete in order to make him invincible, in order to make him the complete man of faith. That's what God is doing. Um, I follow Welsh rugby quite a bit. You might think that sounds a bit of an odd thing to do. Um, Well, I'm married to a Welsh girl, and I can't help knowing lots about it because her and all her family are fanatical about it. Uh, And before the last World Cup, the Welsh team's final bit of training, after all the rigorous preparation, uh, they were sent to Poland uh, to train in a big freezer. Uh, it was the ultimate test of their preparation, sub-zero conditions, uh, to harden them up uh, for the World Cup. They've been gradually working their way up to it, and it nearly worked, actually. They, they almost won. Uh, unfortunately, they had a player sent off in the semi-final, and it ruined it all for them. But that's the kind of thing that's going on with Abraham here. He's come to the ultimate test uh, to harden him up, to be the complete man of faith. Well, let's have a look. Uh, at this test and see how it works out. Uh, I'm going to split it into three parts. The the biggest chunk is the first one and then shorter ones for the next two. So first, Abraham passes the test. God provides the sacrifice. God renews the promise. So let's have a look. Abraham passes the test. I'll read a bit. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Well, what a grim command from God. And it is important that we see that God commands him to do it. It's not Abraham uh, going and having a crazy moment. God commands him to do this. And the amazing thing is actually how Abraham obeys so instantly and deliberately. There's been waverings before, earlier in the story, but now uh, he obeys straight away. Verse 3 to 5 show he very deliberately gets together all he needs for a three-day journey. They get the firewood, they get the burnt offering, uh, he gets his son, some servants, a donkey, and they set out on this journey. At this point in time, Abraham is living in a place called Beersheba, which is at the very southern tip Uh, of uh, Canaan, Israel, Uh, and he's got to travel up to Moriah, uh, which uh, isn't isn't Moria, isn't a place in the Lord of the Rings. Uh, It's the the mountainous area uh, around Jerusalem. It's the mountains of Jerusalem, basically. And you can imagine this journey requires faith every step of the way to keep going all the way. And look at verse 5, as they finally uh, reach the region. We see Abraham's thinking. He says to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. What an amazing statement of faith. It's not a bluff. It's not wishful thinking. It's Abraham's expression of faith in God's promises. God will provide. He's going up to the mountain for an act of worship of God in obedience to God's command. And he was prepared to trust God with the consequences that all would work out. It's worth saying it's not some blind uh, or irrational faith 
the writer to the Hebrews gives a really useful comment on this. Chapter 11 of Hebrews, I'll just read it out, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. But Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So Abraham trusted God's character, he trusted God's promises, and he reasoned that God was powerful enough to raise the dead, that he would keep his promises, and that God would do something like that to sort out the situation. It's simple logic, but how hard it must have been uh, to put it into practice, what faith was needed. And you can see, as the story goes on, look at verses 6 to 8, the intensity gradually builds. Abraham and Isaac are walking off now on their own to the place of sacrifice. Isaac is carrying the wood, uh, Abraham is carrying uh, the fire and the knife. Fire probably means the tinder or something, whatever, whatever is needed to get it lit. Just look at Isaac's question. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb? If any of you have any uh, children or sons, uh, you can just in particular empathise with Abraham. His heart must have been literally breaking as Isaac asks this question. But again, just look at this magnificent answer of Abraham. What magnificent faith. God himself will provide the lamb. And again, it's no bluff. Abraham's faith has been stretched to maturity by this stage, and he's trusting that God will provide. And so then we come to the climax. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. It's like the camera goes into slow motion here, isn't it? The intensity is getting to a peak and each change of scene is gradually described. The boy is tied onto the top of the wood on the altar. The hand reaches out. The knife is taken to slay his son and he's just about to do it. When... Verse 11, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. At the last second, maybe the last fraction of a second, God breaks in to ensure no harm comes to Isaac. Abraham passes the test. He really fears God. Fearing God is a, is a sort of shorthand of summing up how we rightly respond to God in faith and obedience. Abraham shows that his faith is real. He passes the ultimate uh, test, the biggest challenge that he could possibly have faced. He passes it with flying colours as well, uh, we might notice. How do we know if our faith is real? 
Well, it leads to acts of obedience. Here's another important comment on this incident from the New Testament. It's James chapter 2. Was not, 21 if you're taking notes, James chapter 2, 21. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see, a person is justified by works and not faith alone. So Abraham's faith has been tested by having to obey God when everything was against him doing that. Absolutely everything. And he shows his faith is real by the fact that he does obey. He really does believe and therefore he does what God says. He really believes uh, that God will provide. And he takes this step. Well, what a big challenge to us. This is a description of real faith. Abraham is the man of faith. He is the model of what faith is. Perhaps the best model in the whole of the Bible. uh, What faith is like. And it begs the question, doesn't it? Is our faith, is your faith, is my faith like Abraham's? Because the reality is there will be times when our faith is tested. Like Abraham. I suggest it's not likely to be as extreme as this. And also, it's not going to be that we will be called to sacrifice one of our children on an altar. This was very much a one-off incident. It was very much connected with God's promise to Abraham that through Isaac, all nations would be blessed. Because later on, we see in the Bible that child sacrifice is abhorrent to God. So we've just got to see this is a one-off, a special situation uh, to do with this very... Uh, special circumstance and also it was very clearly uh, a a clear communication from God that our Abraham was to do this but nevertheless we may be called to obey God when it's costly to do so sometimes it will feel like everything is against us sticking uh, with God's commands and there could be many areas of life uh, where this kind of thing would happen maybe at the moment you you're struggling with something where you you know what the Bible says But everything is pressurising you against uh, going God's way. One of the common areas it hits is the area of romantic relationships. You may have been in a situation where a relationship or potential relationship felt so good, so right. Everyone else was saying it was good. You felt good about it, but you knew in your heart of hearts, for one reason or another, you couldn't go ahead with it uh, and obey God. Uh, Those kind of situations do arise. The Bible is quite clear that, that, that a Christian believer shouldn't marry a non-Christian uh, and sometimes we're called to obey God uh, when it's really hard to do so. Maybe it's uh, something at work uh, or a job you really want, but you know if you take it, you're going to have to do something that you know would be wrong. Sometimes it is costly uh, to obey God. A brilliant example, I think, of... Uh, of this is in that film Chariots of Fire. I don't know how many have seen Chariots of Fire. It's a bit of a classic. Uh, I often go on about it, I think. Probably gone on about it too much. Uh, but Eric Liddell is one of my heroes. He's, he's the, the champion runner. He's been training for months for the Olympic Games. It's been really costly for him. And just as he's getting on the boat to go to the Paris Olympics, someone shouts out, Eric, are you looking forward to the 100-meter heats on Sunday? And for Liddell, 
a Christian, his understanding of the Bible's teaching is that Sundays are not for playing sport. And of course, he's suddenly facing a really difficult situation. He's been training all these months. The nation's expectations are on his shoulders uh, to run in the 100 meters, but he is convinced that to do so will be to disobey God. But he tells everyone about it, uh, and everyone is against him. The Prince of Wales is wheeled out, Lord this or that or the other. Everyone is against him, his teammates. Everyone is urging him, and they say, look, it's only a heat, Eric. It's just a little heat. Look, after all this training, and everyone, Great Britain expects you to do this. The pressure is immense, and he feels really cut up about it. But in the end, uh, he does obey, and he does withdraw from the 100 meters. It's an amazing, if you've never seen the film, it's worth watching it just to see how this plays out. It's an amazing act of real faith in action. A test, an ultimate kind of test, uh, like Abraham faced. The test that faith is real is that we act on it, especially, and in particular, when it costs. It's possible, isn't it, to have a view of faith that it's a bit like an insurance policy. So often we, we think of faith like that, that it's an, you know, you know, we've signed up for it, uh, we put the policy in our back pocket, uh, and we trust that as long as we've got this policy, uh, God will let us into his heaven, uh, and then we can just sort of get on with life and not worry too much about everything. But that's not Abrahamic faith. That's not real faith. Real faith leads us to obeying God, even uh, when there's a cost. And so it means, doesn't it, if we don't obey God when there's a cost, how can we be assured that we have real faith? We can't, can we? How can we have, we can't have assurance that our faith is real if we don't obey. So it's really serious, isn't it? We know Abraham's faith was real because he obeyed and he passed the ultimate test. Well, that's the big point, I think, of this uh, passage, the nature of real faith, what it really looks like. Abraham passes the test. But now more briefly, let's have a look at the results of it, the, the wonderful results for Abraham. Uh, the second point, God provides the sacrifice. Abraham looked up, and there in a the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Well, if we're to worship God rightly, we are sinful people. A sacrifice for our sins is needed. God had called for a sacrifice, and for them back then, before Jesus came, uh, that meant an animal uh, sacrifice. And now God has seen that Abraham has passed the test. He's been willing to give up his son. And so God provides a substitute sacrifice in place of Isaac. And so the place is called the Lord will provide. Just thinking of Eric Little again for a moment, if you're familiar, you will know that the Lord did provide uh, for him. After he passed the test uh, and withdrew from the 100 metres, someone else uh, makes their place available for the 400 metres. Little runs, he breaks the world record uh, and wins a gold medal. And in fact, it turns out, and the history books show it out, that he was actually better at the 400 metres than the 100, but he didn't realise it uh, until that point in time. <laughs> so an amazing provision. He wouldn't have won the 100 metre gold, probably. He got the bronze in the, in the 200. 
Uh, so it suggests he was better at the, at the longer events. God provided wonderfully for him. But back to Abraham uh, and Isaac. God provided wonderfully for them uh, as well. He provided this sacrifice. And as we think about this sacrifice that was provided and, and this whole event on the top of this mountain, it is so rich in meaning. Let me just uh, show some of these things that, that are so helpful for us. This took place on the very mountain where in the future the temple would be built. The temple where the sacrifices for the sins of Israel, uh, it took place there. And of course, this was the place where Jesus, carrying the cross, set out from uh, to die for our sins. It's a wonderful prefiguring uh, in this incident of what was going to happen. And you see, it's teaching us, isn't it, that a sacrifice is needed for our sins. Uh, we've sinned. We deserve God's judgment, the Bible teaches. We, like Abraham and Isaac, need a sacrifice if we're to worship God properly. Because of our sin, we actually deserve to be, if you like, on the altar, like Isaac. But God has provided a lamb in our place. We deserve to face the knife, to be cut off from God's presence eternally because of our rebellion against him. But God has provided Jesus for us in our desperate situation at just the right time. Jesus, unlike any other human, has lived a sinless life. Sinless life. And unlike any animal, he is actually uh, a worthy and appropriate substitute for us. He himself is God's provision, dying as our substitute that we might know the forgiveness of God and have our sin atoned for. If we can just imagine for a moment the agonies that Abraham must have gone through preparing the altar and getting ready to sacrifice his son, well, remember the even greater cost that God paid to send his son to die in our place. God spared Abraham from giving the ultimate sacrifice, but he took that ultimate sacrifice on himself. And I think in some way, we can't really understand this incident in chapter 22 of Genesis and the peculiar thing that God called Abraham to do until we see the cross and see that that was exactly what God did himself and spared Abraham, uh, his friend, from it. Abraham passed his test. But isn't the reality that we so often fail when we are tested in our faith? Well, if Abraham, the man of faith, still needed a sacrifice, well, how much more do we? And wonderfully, if we turn from our sins, turn from our failings, and come back to God and ask him for forgiveness again. We too, like Isaac, can be provided for. We too, like Isaac, can know uh, someone who's died for us, and we can be brought back from the dead, uh, literally, in the future, to have eternal life with God. So if we feel a failure looking at Abraham's amazing faith, well, remember the sacrifice points us to the way we can be saved. So do you see, it's so full of meaning, isn't it? It's, it's amazing, really, isn't it, when you think about it? Abraham passes the test. God provides the sacrifice. And then we see, finally, God renews the promise. Well, the test is passed, so the angel speaks again. 16, and he says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and you've not withheld your son, your only son, 
I will surely bless you and make you make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sands on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Wonderful uh, promises. We can see they're fulfilled uh, tonight. Uh, We've got a son of Abraham here sitting in the uh, third row. Uh, And all of us who aren't uh, descendants of Abraham physically, we are here. We are the nations blessed uh, through uh, Abraham's uh, descendants. God's promises here, in fact, were never dependent on Abraham's obedience. We saw that that right back at the beginning of chapter 12. God said he would do this, and he would. But for Abraham to enjoy and experience the blessings of it, he had to exercise faith and obedience. And it is the same for us. We'll enjoy God's promises as we trust and obey. The old children's hymn put it, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And so we see God's promises wonderfully renewed to Abraham. God makes it all feel even better for him. He says, I swear by myself. There's no greater thing than God could possibly swear by than himself. And it's like he's saying, this is absolutely, definitely going to happen, be assured. And there's even more detail, there's this new image, Abraham's descendants will be as many as the grains of sand on the seashore. And they'll rule over their enemies, which is prefiguring the conquest of Canaan. And so we see, for Abraham, all is well that ends well. There have been some really hard things on the way for him, some big tests. Uh, But God has prepared him uh, to come to this point Uh, to finish him off and prepare him. And the result of it all is increased joy, increased faith, increased hope. He's got his son back from the dead and he's got so much more reassurance of God's blessings towards him. And it is the same for us too. As we exercise faith in God through the ups and downs in life, as we take the hard decisions, God always proves faithful. And as we do that, and come through those things, and see that God is faithful, our faith, like Abraham's faith, will be strengthened. And we too, like an athlete, can be trained up for more and more useful uh, service uh, of God. Well, is this what you desire? To have your faith strengthened, uh, to be more useful uh, in God's service? Well, we've got the same God as Abraham, uh, the same God who provides for all our needs. As Paul puts it in Romans 8, as we finish, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you so much for your promises that you gave to Abraham that were fulfilled in his son Jesus uh, and that uh, flow out to us uh, even all these thousands of miles away, all these thousands of years down the track. May we be those who trust in the promises and who obey 
in the light of it. Please strengthen our faith. Please use us. Please help us to pass the tests that we face. And may you prove yourself to be faithful in our lives and in this church. For Jesus' sake. Amen.